Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Imperfect Leader Podcast. I'm Scott Neal, your host. Today I'm interviewing Andy Montero, owner and executive chef at Montero's Restaurant. Andy is an entrepreneur and successful business owner. You will learn a lot from Andy. I thoroughly enjoyed this interview and I am thrilled to bring it to you. Before we get into the discussion with Andy, I want to let you know about a few upcoming guests I will feature soon on the podcast. First up is Josh Lassiter from ECSU. He's coming up in a few weeks. Josh is a young, smart leader and has done an excellent job at Elizabeth City State. Also, Dale and Amber Jones. Dale serves as executive pastor at Forest Park Church, and Amber serves as the creative pastor. Uh, can't wait to interview each one. So much to talk about and so much to learn. I have a few other guests I'm scheduling, and I can't be more excited to bring each one to you. If you haven't, please go by iTunes and give us a five-star rating and share and recommend this podcast to your friends. I also want to know how we can improve. If you have suggestions, comments, thoughts, ideas, let me know. I read each one and will do the best I can to answer your questions and even implement some of your ideas. Thanks so much, and let's get to the interview with Andy Montero. Andy, welcome to the uh, Imperfect Leader Podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm glad you are. As I mentioned, you are the owner and chef at Montero's Restaurant, but you did not begin your career as a chef. Is that correct? Correct. I okay. did I did begin in restaurants, but, okay. but not cooking. Right. So tell us a little bit about how you began and your journey to where you are today. You have a very interesting story, and I'd love for more people to know sure. about it. Sure. Uh, my love for food um, started at a young age. Uh, I enjoyed eating. I have three mm-hmm. brothers, and um, we were always active, and, um, and food was a big part of, of everything we did. Um, I had a, one of my older brothers got me a job at the restaurant he was working in. I was 15. Now, where was that? A courthouse Cafe in Great Bridge. Okay. Still open. Really? Uh, a great place. The, the kitchen manager that opened the restaurant was my direct manager. He's still managing the kitchen there. Wow. Uh, 32 years, I think. Mm. Um, and I fell in love with it. Uh, I was a bus boy and a bar back and a food runner. I loved the people I worked with. I loved the customers, yeah. the pace. And um, decided then, I had an interest at around 12 in food, thought that I either wanted to do that or teach history. Wow. And, so um, you wanted to either work in food or teach history. That was it. <laughs> I learned in high school I wasn't quite the scholar, so right. it was a very easy transition right. to get, getting into food. Right. Um, and, uh, and I moved forward with it. So I worked in a restaurant, fell in love with it, um, had dreams of of opening my own restaurant. So I actually spent my first year of college at Old Dominion uh, with the plan of working towards a business degree. Okay. I was quickly reminded I'm, I was not uh, the scholar that my brothers were. Okay. Changed course and went ahead and enrolled in Johnson and Wales in Norfolk. Right. Uh, they had a campus there at the time and, uh, and started that progression right. on, on the culinary side. I had already been cooking. I had moved from, you know, busboy food runner to line cook short order type stuff. Right. Um, and then and then decided to jump in um, with a formal education. Yeah. So when you finished there and you got your education, what, what was next? You didn't start a business right then. You didn't start a restaurant immediately. I didn't. And, and you know, my progression, it was actually quite quick, or, or I should say uh, the list of restaurants that I've worked and trained mm-hmm. in are, are quite short. I spent four years at Courthouse Cafe. I spent four years at Cypress Point Country Club in Virginia Beach. Okay. 
Um, are these I, were all training as far as learning how to cook, or you did the business side of it? Th- or? This was all cooking. Okay. I, I was uh, in an apron with a chef's knife right. over the stove in these positions um, while going to school. I actually dropped out of school, out of culinary school after my freshman year. I had an opportunity, a random opportunity to go to Italy mm. to train. Uh, so um, against my parents' approval, I, I packed up and went to Italy, a small town called Montevarchi right outside of Florence. Spent six months working wow. in— Now, how did that opportunity come about? Uh, no, I mean, not everybody gets an opportunity like that. So that just fell into your lap, obviously. It literally gonna... fell into my lap. Okay. So. I had uh, started visiting an old high school friend that I had lost contact with mm-hmm. uh, after high school. She was going to a fashion school in Atlanta. I was down one weekend visiting and met one of her instructors. Mm. Um, nice enough guy. I, went, I came back home to uh, Chesapeake thinking nothing of it, back to culinary school, and three days later I got a phone call from her. She said, hey, do you remember meeting Mr. Whoever? I, I don't, honestly, I don't even remember his name. Well, he was standing at the fax machine, and a fax came in for Baltimore Culinary Institute for looking for one, one student, one American student to come to Italy. Do you want him to send you this fax? Wow. And I said, absolutely. I'd love to see it. So I had them fax it to the culinary school. I had an instructor give me his credit card to make an international call from the campus for me to reach out to this wow. family. It was a, it was a, privately owned restaurant and um that's how it came about now as crazy as it sounds now this was 22 years ago right they said we want one american student to come you don't need a visa you can get a one-way plane ticket we're going to pay you cash every week oh my goodness and you just have to uh commit to six months so you didn't really need to think about it much well, yeah, I was excited. Right? Yeah. Well, of course, I go to my parents. My sure. father's a, yeah, yeah. An, an immigrant from the Philippines. Uh-huh. And he looks at me and he says, you're crazy. You can't go over there to live and work without a visa. Right. Well, Dad, look look at the facts. It says. Now, how old were you at this time? I was 20. Wow. And uh, so, again, the world was a different place. Yeah. This is prior to 9-11, prior yes. to all of the Yes. Tension. Still not the safest thing for me to have sure. done. I understand my parents have. We did have a different worldview at that it, time. It, it was. Yeah. I found a travel agent who, who forged a <laughs> return ticket for me so that I could go, and I basically landed in Italy and disappeared. That's I, I didn't disappear, but, sure. it, you know, um, I had a, a distant relative I'd never met. Uh, that uh, My father's third cousin was in seminary school in Rome. So I flew into Rome and he had arranged for them to pick me up. I stayed at the seminary for a week. Uh, They drove me up uh, to the restaurant to make sure that everything was okay. You know, he was Filipino, but he spoke fluent Italian and his friends did as well. So they they took care of me, made sure that it was a legitimate thing. Uh, and then we kept in touch while I was over there. He would check in to make sure that I was doing okay, things of that nature. Wow. Crazy experience. Yeah. Uh, I learned very little uh, culinary-wise, but as a 20-year-old living in a foreign country, it was a huge growth sure. uh, opportunity for me. So I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about uh, my thoughts on being an American and, yeah. and being an adult. Yeah. Uh, and I brought back way more of that than culinary expertise yeah so what for the six months what did you do how did you keep busy well you were working in the institute there but 
we were, I was working in, in two family restaurants. Okay. Uh, they were in the same town and they would move us back and forth. The, the restaurant, the, the staff was all foreigners. Okay. Um, and then there were a few Italian family members that were the managers. Yeah. Um, I washed dishes for the first three weeks because I couldn't speak or understand enough Italian. Mm-hmm. And they told me I wasn't allowed to cook food. I wasn't allowed to touch food until I could speak well enough to mm-hmm. communicate. So I, I hated my first three weeks. Sure. I called home every day asking for a plane ticket back, of which my parents laughed and said, nope, you got to stick it out. Uh, and um, I had great flatmates yeah. um, from all over the world. They actually taught me Italian uh, enough to get yeah. proficient enough to start cooking. And then I, I, I moved up very quickly. They let me start cooking you know, antipasti's first courses, second courses, proteins, and, and we worked from 10 in the morning until uh, midnight every day. Goodness. And how's your Italian now, as far as your language? I, I would say not bad in Italian, but I don't remember how to. <laughs> so, you know, four years of Spanish helped yeah. with my Italian, but now I can say I get them both really mixed up right. uh, to the point I'm even embarrassed to attempt. So, sure. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. So, um, uh, you, you, you go ahead. So my, my progression, I yeah. was my progression. I, I came back from Italy. Yeah. Spent six months working uh, in the industry mm-hmm. in Norfolk mm-hmm. and didn't want to go back to school. I, I'm a, a product of uh, of an immigrant. My father came over the, the typical story, two hundred and fifty dollars. But he came over with a medical degree, met my mother on a blind date at Deep wow. Hall Hospital in Norfolk and has preached to us since I can remember education, education, yep. education. Same thing I preach to my daughters now. So when I went, I told them I wasn't going to go back to culinary school. I I really struck a nerve. Six months, I let it go by because I was still living at home with them. And I I let it go by for six months and I'm going to do what I want to do. And finally, I think guilt got the best of me. And I said, okay, I'm going to enroll back in school. I'll get my degree. It's an associate's degree, but I'm going to get my degree in culinary arts. And um, I re-enrolled and lo and behold, this beautiful young girl in my class from Elizabeth City, Karen Strickland, was uh, was one of my classmates, yeah. and uh, I courted her for a year before I could convince her to let me take her out on a date. We, we we ended up hitting it off and both staying an additional year as teaching assistants, and then chose Elizabeth City as a place to call home. Yeah. Now, did you come here with the intent? To start a restaurant in Elizabeth yes, City, okay, we did. So that was your dream when when you moved here. Yes, okay. I, I once again dropped out of school. We were actually <laughs> we were okay. on the drive to Charleston uh, for our fourth year to look at apartments for our fourth year, working towards our bachelor's degree in okay. culinary arts through Johnson and Wales. On the way down, we talked more and more about getting married, moving to Elizabeth City, because we thought it was a better market than the Hampton Roads market mm-hmm. for a small startup. Um, and by the time we returned home, we were convinced that that's what we wanted to do. And so that's what we did. We did not enroll for our fourth year. We never moved down to finish our degrees. We started planning our wedding and started looking at facilities for a restaurant. Wow. So you were passionate to get a restaurant up and running, no matter what you had to do. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, I just wanted to, I want, I love the work yeah. I, and I don't mind hard work. Yeah. 
and I think I wanted to build something with my wife. I wanted yeah. to do my own thing. I've enjoyed working for other people, and many times now as an owner, I think, well, it sure would be nice to be an employee for somebody else. Sure. But you know, we love what we do, and I think we knew right away that it was what was meant for us. Yeah. Now, did Karen also have a dream of eventually, I mean, this is prior to meeting you, that she wanted to eventually one day own a restaurant? Was that her goal, her dream? Not so much a restaurant. She, okay. At one point, wanted to be a B and B owner. Okay. She wanted to. She was more thinking hotels, bed and breakfast mm-hmm. type thing. She went to culinary school because she knew she needed that background and knowledge. It's not that she had a great passion for cooking. Um, and I think once we met and we kind of started sharing our interests and passions, um, I brought her over to the dark side. And she's like, "All right, restaurant wouldn't be such a bad idea." Right. Um, and, and yeah, I, she actually had a very minimal restaurant experience prior to us dating. Okay. Um, very interesting. Well, I know that you don't just, um, you've got a successful restaurant today and getting your restaurant up and running to the level of success today. I know you don't just go hang a sign outside and everybody shows up. So tell us a little bit about the journey of actually getting Montero's going. Because, you know, Elizabeth City, for those of you who are listening and you're not familiar with Elizabeth City, it's not a large city and it's not a fast growing city. It's growing, right. but it's a it's a slow paced overall yes. city, a wonderful town to, to live in and grow up in. But it's not something that just embraces every new idea. And every time somebody moves into town, people are a little hesitant, hesitant. to, you know, trust who is this new person. So here you have this passion to to open up a restaurant. Uh, to serve quality food, you know, to provide excellent service. Um, how do you go about doing that in a town like Elizabeth City? Uh, you, if you were a potential business restaurant owner wanting to open, I would laugh and tell you, I have no idea. Yeah, okay. uh, I can share with you our experience, which right. is so out of the norm, I think. Um, I didn't have a job when I moved down here. And... Um, I happened to be in the Chamber of Commerce introducing myself because somebody told me that that was a good place to go. Yeah. Um, and I was talking about the things that I did. I was a, I was a chef and, and I do in-home caterings and I want to open a restaurant. And I heard this voice from the back hallway say, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. And out comes running uh, Audra Marks. Mm-hmm. So my husband John and I are about to open up the first coffee shop in Elizabeth City. Yeah. I said, really? She's like, yeah, we're going to call it Muddy Waters. It's going to be downtown. We need somebody who can bake for us. Mm. I thought, oh, I can bake, and I can't bake, (laughs) but I can pretend to bake. I can bake. Sure, what do you need? So we sat and we talked, and when she got close to opening, she reached back out to me, and I started baking for her. And one day, your first, as any new business, uh, we hit the ground running. Sales are great. Everyone's coming to try it out, and we were baking lots of stuff for her. And I showed up probably three months in, and she's like, well, you know, we've kind of peaked, and I still have stuff from yesterday. I can't take full inventory. I said, okay, no problem. I understand. I got back in my car, and I go, what do I do with all this product I have? I don't want to hold it for tomorrow and give her leftovers. So the only other business I I knew in town that I was familiar with was State Farm, Um, Don Elliott's office. Yeah. And so I drove over there right around the corner and I walked in and I said, hey, you know, I've got all this extra product. Do you want it? And somebody in that office, I wish I knew who, somebody in the office said, 
gosh, if you sold these, I'd buy these every week. Mm. And bing, light bulb went off. Yeah. And the next day I baked a little bit of extra. So I dropped off Audra's order. And then um, I went to another location and dropped off some free stuff. And about two weeks later, I had 50, 60 stops. I wow. started the Muffin Man route. Yeah. And that's how I started Montero's. I, that's how I started my business. Right. Uh, we didn't necessarily, other than the Muffin Man, I didn't really have a name for the business. Mm-hmm. But I got to go face-to-face, meet people, shake their hands, give them my product, tell them what my goals were, what I wanted to do. And that led into, hey, we're having a small office party. Well, I'd like to have a dinner party um, to wedding receptions and larger events. And I did that for four years mm. uh, along with other, I would say, more traditional work. I did that in the mornings. And what, what happened was when I opened up the, when we opened up the restaurant, people knew who I was. Yeah. They knew who Karen was. They knew the quality of the product. They knew that we were community-minded people, hardworking, uh, and honest folks. And it allowed us to have built-in clientele when we opened our, our doors. I think had we opened when we had originally planned, we bought our property in 2000 and didn't open until the end of 2005. Hmm. Had we opened in 2000, we would be closed today. Yeah. As you said, not not everybody embraces new businesses. But you had integrity by the time you opened up. You had friends, you had connections. People had already eaten some of your product and they knew that the integrity of your food and all the, and had a relationship with you. Yes. The relationship is the biggest thing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. People, people got to know who we were. Right. Um, We were not, and still aren't perfect in our restaurant from a management staff, a management standpoint, staffing quality you know we we make mistakes we're human um but we really even five years after buying the facility didn't know what we were doing yeah but we had earned the trust from our customers that they were willing to come back a second and third time and they were willing to be patient with us and that paid huge dividends because we did finally start getting it right yeah more frequently yeah Uh, and with the relationship you had you know they the people would extend grace to you because yes. this was not just this new restaurant in town and somebody, you know, in a corporate office in New York. No, this is Andy. Right. You know, this is Karen. Yeah. So if there's a mistake, if the food is not exactly the way we ordered it, I'll, I'll go talk to Andy. I'll go talk to Karen. Yes. You know, and we can work this out. Yes. And yeah. So that, that helped a lot. It helped a whole lot. Yeah. It helped a whole good. lot. That's um, good. Now, for those of you who, who may not be familiar with uh, Montero's restaurant, it is in a, a large home. Um, yeah beautiful each room's painted a different color and and you feel like you're walking into this this beautiful it is a home it's a, it's it a house yeah. now how did was that home located at the the place it is now and you remodeled it did you move it did you build it tell us a little bit about how you got this the actual restaurant itself going yes to all of that okay. if you could believe it so the original home was built in 1904 and it sits uh on the corner it used to sit behind where the pizza hut is now mm-hmm. on Erringhouse street in Cardwell. okay and it got moved to its current property, which used to be a subdivided area. The circular driveway was actually Sunset Circle. It was a city street, and there okay. were small homes on this one acre. Um, at some point in time, they all got cleared out. The property got moved to where it's at now. And then um, the Macfer- I believe the McPherson family, who we, we bought it from, had added on to it. They were living there. It, it actually never went on the market. Um, I was working, I was teaching at Northeastern High School at the time. We were trying to buy a different location that didn't work out. 
And Gary Hobbs was my boss at the high school. And he said, I know somebody who might be interested and I think their property would be great for a restaurant. And he handed me Peggy McPherson's number. So you should call her. And I did. And they welcomed us with open arms to come look at their, at their home. Yeah. And it was their home. They were living there. And they brought us in and they let us walk through and ask a gazillion questions. And they let us come back with Karen's parents and look at it again. Um, So it was a home. And we even lived there. The parking lot was a horse pasture. We had our wedding reception there. Really? Yeah. Didn't know that. And um, we got married June 2000. We moved out September 2000 and started construction. And uh, we added on more than, we more than doubled the size of the property right. building-wise. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a long process for a lot of different reasons. But again, it all, it all happened for a reason. We feel confident. It, it, it worked out where we were able to make changes. We were able to kind of get a foothold in what we were doing. We got build relationships in the community. And we opened up uh, end of November 2005. So you've uh, been there now 13 years. Yes. Wow. It doesn't yeah. seem that long ago. It doesn't most no. days. Yeah, um, that's right. But yeah, it has been. It's been thirteen years. We yeah. we my my oldest was two, um, a one and a half actually, and and uh, my other two girls were born w- while we were working. Yeah, time uh, goes quickly. Yeah, they've all been raised in that restaurant. You mentioned that you were teaching at Northeastern, correct? Yes. yes. Okay. What about you? Became a teacher then while you were getting the relationships built and working on the side with the muffin man and all that. Yep. Is that right? Yes. So I, I taught at Northeastern High School for one semester. Okay. It's when the culinary arts program came into Northeastern North Carolina. Uh, something had happened with the, the chef that they had lined up, or the teacher they had lined up for the class, and last minute I was asked to do it. And I was grateful for the work. And um, that experience kind of created my lifelong appreciation and dedication for our public school system and teachers in general. Yep. Um, I only did it for a semester. The second semester, I was 22 years old. Second semester, I was asked to teach teen living and interior design. And I, I was smart enough to so say... You, so you quit. Yeah, you yes. dropped out. I resigned. I immediately <laughs> said, yeah, I'm not the right person for this job. Right. I don't think anyone would benefit from this. Right. Uh, and it just so happened that as I was declining the offer to stay another semester, uh, a former instructor of mine, the gentleman, the chef that let me use his credit card to call Italy, called me. He was now in charge of the culinary department at Johnson Wales and said, we're looking for an adjunct instructor. We think your name came up. We think you'd be great. Are you interested? Uh, so I taught for four years at my alma mater uh, in Norfolk. So I commuted up every day. Uh, and taught for four years there. Culinary arts, uh, I was able to hone my skills as a chef, but also uh, management skills, leadership yeah. skills. Well, that was perfect timing. Um, it really was. Yeah. It really I would was. imagine you learned a lot during those four years, just yes. in the preparation to teach and the students asking questions and, yes. and figuring out how to communicate because that set you up, I would imagine, for a staff you would eventually have and have to teach them the recipes and how yes. to cook and all these different things. It, it was a blessing and a curse. It did. It taught me all of that. Yeah. But it also put me in the, um, it put me in a more authoritative mindset than mm-hmm. I probably needed to be Okay. long-term as a business owner. You know, it, culinary school is very much, these are the rules. This is right. it. And I could, you know, there are penalties and there's no exceptions. And it worked great in that setting. I did learn, and it was a hard lesson to learn. It took a few years at the restaurant that I, I had to 
softened my management style. Mm. I could not be the dictator I thought I could. I couldn't be the instructor who would stand at the front and kind of bark orders. Yeah. And, now, when you came when you came in and launched Monteros, mm-hmm. did you bring some of that harshness into? The opening and had now to, you've had to kind of soften yes. as you went. Okay. Yes, that's what. It, yeah. Yes, the, so you, the school you thought set this is how up. I needed to be. I, I okay. thought I thought yeah. exactly this is the perfect preparation for running my own kitchen, uh, and I had worked under chefs that that acted like that, and that's how the their kitchens ran, and and that is how I tried to run my kitchen for the first few years, and not even just the kitchen, the restaurant in general, no. um, and it was a it was a hard lesson to learn. It, it did not work very well yeah um and we had a lot of employees still to this day that are still with us from those yeah. days we, we have quite a few original employees have been with us for 13 years and they laugh now when yeah. they see me especially they see the way i try to handle things now yeah. they laugh and they go oh yeah i don't miss the old andy <laughs> right. um yeah i so. get that especially in elizabeth city too because elizabeth city again has a little bit more of a laid-back approach to all things yeah and they're not the the people who make up our town wonderful people but they're not as receptive to this dictatorial uh, approach of authority and you're going to yes. do it my way or else they just it's or else they just walk away they Correct. don't enjoy that they don't approach they don't they don't respond well to that kind of leadership correct so you've had to morph and evolve to meet your staff where they are yes yeah uh absolutely and i have found even when I, w- I went back and taught again uh, at Culinary Institute of Virginia, which is actually in the same building that Johnson & Wales vacated, mm-hmm. um, and taught for an additional year, I had already started changing my management style and things of that nature. And I found when I was able to carry that back into the classroom that that style even fit the classroom better. Mm. So it's not just Elizabeth City folks that I feel respond better to uh, a softer, st- a softer style of management, just yeah. a little bit more personal approach yeah. to it. A little bit more compassion and understanding yes. and a, a human side. Yes, a I, I, I have found that all across yeah. the board. Yeah. Um, and we we still work. We work a lot with folks that that live and work regularly in Hampton Roads that cater with us yeah. as a as side job and things of that nature. And I, I've, they definitely respond better. Yeah. So Andy has become a better leader, a better people leader. I would hope Not just so. a business leader, but a person leader. Yes. Uh, over these last 13 years. I have worked consciously yeah. on being that. And, and over the last 13 years, you know, the first three or four years, I had no interest in changing. I had no interest in being a better uh, manager. I really felt that I could put, I could convince people that my way was the best way. And if, if you don't like it, get out. Yeah. And, and, you know, so the last seven years, eight, eight, even nine years I've, I've been working on it, and even more so as my children get older and really start to see me as, um, or as I see myself being more of a role model for them, yeah. it's even more important for me to make those changes faster. I, you know, in the last five years, I'd say I've, I, I feel like I've made some significant changes in how I approach situations, how I talk with people. And I'm not perfect, I, yeah. you know, sometimes I can revert back. Uh, it, you know, to my Gordon Ramsay ways. Yeah. Um, but I, I try really hard to uh, take a little bit different approach um, because, you know, I, I just want to be a better person. Yeah. So becoming a better leader, a better business owner and manager has actually made you a better person at home 
and becoming a better person at home has made you a better leader, leader. and owner and manager of your restaurant. I would like it's to think all so. together. Yes. Yeah. One and the same. You know, yeah. it, it, it's hard to. It's, it's hard to turn it on and off. I mean, I just want to be a better person all the way around. And, yeah. and I, I don't want to be super hard and strict in one location and not the other. I want, yeah. to, be, I want to be Andy, and I want Andy to be a good person. And, and yeah. it's as simple as that. And so it, you know, I'm learning my way through that still, and I think that's a, a fun progression for anybody who sees that as something, a, a goal that they yeah. want to reach towards. And Absolutely. That's good. Well, you've answered a little bit of this already, but I want to open up a little bit more. Hearing someone introduced as owner and chef, and they mentioned in the restaurant or the business, can sound exciting and adventurous. And I'm sure there are times when it is exciting and adventurous, but what is it really like? Tell us a little bit about behind the scenes of what is it like to be the owner of a restaurant and the chef, the head, the lead chef there. What is that really like for someone? What does what does your day look like or a busy day? I'm sure it starts early, goes late, is frustrating at times. Yes. So you got to deal with customers and you've got to deal with people who are paying a pretty high price mm-hmm. for the product and catering and all that. So give us a little bit of that behind the scenes feel. Well, I reluctantly take the title of executive chef. I, I very rarely ever introduce myself anymore as a chef and generally don't ever say, well, I'm the executive chef of my own restaurant. Yeah. Um, I don't do a whole lot of cooking anymore, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a great team um, that handles that. I'm uh, excited and proud that I still have my thumb in it and I still help develop recipes and I still oversee, I do the food ordering and I write the schedule and I still oversee our staff. but. Um, I've got a great support team of managers that help with all of that. And they really deserve those types of titles and accolades. Sure. Uh, so I usually will shy away from that. But my day in general as a restaurant owner, um, as, a, as a restaurant employee, period, we always teach and preach, you you need to expect the unexpected. You need to be prepared, be prepared for the absolute worst thing to happen. And you need to have plan Bs and Cs in place, yeah. ready to go. Um, I'm usually up 5.30, 5.45 in the morning. I spend a little bit of quiet time drinking coffee, uh, checking emails, sure. news, that sort of thing. And I'm work by 8 a.m., 8.15, after taking my girls to school. Um, and I would say probably five days out of the week. I'm usually at work until 8, 8.30 at night. Um, weekends, you know, I'm still usually in fairly early, but I don't get home until 10, 11. Yeah catering season, uh, which um, has been very good for us, uh, catering in the Hampton Roads market more. You know, I might not get home till one or two on a Saturday night or Sunday morning and then back to work at 7, 7.30. Yeah. So uh, many hours, long It's days. a lot of hours. Yeah. My, my average work week is probably 75 hours. Yeah. yeah. Um, People hear about, you know, being a chef, et cetera, you know, you, they think – um, I don't know how the average person thinks, but many people, you know, you're elbow deep in food. I mean, you're cooking meal after meal and you're serving people and everyone's having a great time. But this is a lot of driving for you. This is a lot of paperwork, I would imagine. Scheduling, dealing with customers. Yes. Getting new business, answering questions, developing menus. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of that stuff that is not just like you said, you don't even really do that much cooking anymore. Exactly. I, I'm more elbow deep in paperwork yeah. and phone calls how, than how, anything how, else. How does Andy feel about that? Because, I mean, you love food. Yes. You know, that's the passion, and it's kind of morphed over time. 
from being in the kitchen to being at a desk more or in the dining room. Yeah. So how does that feel to know that the changes and having to adjust yourself to that? I, I had a hard time at first. Um, I, I had somebody tell me one time, you really need to, as a business owner, you have to work on your business, not in your business. And I was working positions in my kitchen. I was cooking food and I was not in my office writing menus reaching out to customers. Um, I wasn't in the dining room checking on folks, and I realized I really need to change my ways. And it was hard for me to give up those responsibilities and that control, and it kind of goes back to that whole dictatorship. Like, I felt I really needed to be in control of everything. Um, so little by little, I had to give that up. I started pulling myself out of scheduled shifts a couple times a week until it became comfortable for me, and, and then I ended up not working any shifts in yeah. my kitchen. <laughs> Um, now I'm actually really proud. I, I feel actually more than anything, I probably feel guilt that mm -hmm. I'm not in the kitchen with my crew because they work really, really hard yeah. and they don't see me there at eight in the morning. They get in at two thirty, three o'clock. And then if I leave at eight o'clock, I actually feel guilty that I'm leaving before my staff because they don't know what hours I pull and it's not their responsibility. And I, my responsibility as an owner is to be there with my team to, yeah. to help them. Um, one of the hardest times of the night is cleanup when we're breaking everything down. Everybody's tired and hot, and there's just piles of dishes and um, things to be put away. That's and, another one of those things that people may not think yeah, through. You know, absolutely. There's a lot of cleaning and yeah, there's a when, lot of that. When the doors lock and customers yeah. are, are, you know, aren't in the building, there's still a lot of work to be done. Right. And probably more than anything, there's guilt for me not being there with the team. And then to f I, I have to battle and balance that with guilt of not being home because, mm. you know, my wife has had the responsibility of picking up the kids, getting all the errands ran with them, cooking dinner, and I'm not there. And so yeah. there's that constant sure. struggle for me is, you know, uh, where am I going to spend my time today? Uh, and, you know, I'm very, very fortunate on both ends to have family that supports me, yeah. whether that's the folks in the restaurant or my children and wife right. at home. Yeah, you're very fortunate that your wife loves the restaurant business yes. and enjoys the food and, and has her own education in that area and understands the details of what it takes to make it all work. And yes, you're not battling that at home, and that's a, that's no. that's huge. That is huge, yeah. and that is a that is a really common thing in our industry. Mm -hmm. Is if one person in the relationship is in the industry, the other is not. It, it's really hard unless you've worked in it. It's hard to grasp. Yeah. The, the time, the stress level, yep. the dedication it takes. And it's hard to not bring a lot of that stuff home. Sure. Uh, so, you know, you can disconnect from uh, a loved one very easily because of the stress or just the exhaustion yep. or frustration. Yep. Um, so to have somebody who understands that Absolutely. and is willing to help absorb that right. is incredible. How, how do you go about keeping the Montero brand you know, the flavor, the feel, the food, with you not being there as much. And mm -hmm. you've obviously got an excellent staff that keeps that moving. But I would imagine, I'm just assuming now, that there's some sense of, you know, quality assurance. You have to make sure that the recipes are still the way that you want them to be because yes. it's re somewhat removed from you now. You don't want it to move too far off, you know, from what Montero's is about and what you want it to be. What's a little check and balances you have with that? We do have a fantastic team that, that helps uh, maintain those levels. But what we have found is if we hire quality people, we work hard on keeping them happy. You know, providing proper training, 
making sure that they have buy-in and, mm-hmm. and they have the same vision that we do and then supporting them in this effort to reach that end goal yeah. um, helps a lot. Yeah. So you, know? you stay directly involved in the hiring. Absolutely. People. Okay, I didn't know if you've delegated that to someone else. Do you make sure that you give your approval, you interview, you find out who they are? Not always, but but often I I do get I guess to have it a hand. On the position too. Well, and a lot of times, so uh, my sister in law Sheila is our hiring manager for okay. front of the house. But usually, my myself or my wife will get to meet applicants mm-hmm. first. Got it. Uh, although we have full faith in her, because um, she, she shares the same vision as we do. I actually do all of my own hiring for the kitchen staff. Mm-hmm. So anybody that's working in the back, I do and the hiring. you do the training as well? I do not. Okay. I do not. Uh, my management team does the okay. training. Uh, and together, we created our training guides and things of that nature. Um, so the, the staff, you know, having staff that has the same goals and same beliefs mm-hmm. that we do makes maintaining what we've set forth as our quality level, our standards, it makes it really easy because we're all on the same page. And what's great is because our staff has that same commitment to that that we do, when new employees come in and don't have that same mentality, they help us either get that person on board or they're very quick to come to us and say, hey, this person's not yep. going to work out. Yep. They're, they're missing the mark. They they really don't believe in what we yeah. stand for. Now what you're what you're speaking to now is something that we are working through here at, at Forest Park as well. And it's true of not just a church or a restaurant, but any quality business. It's culture, and mm-hmm. you've created a Montero's culture. And now you know what to look for. And and when someone or some style comes in sideways and it doesn't fit in the overall culture. Andy is not the only person who notices it. Correct. You've got other people who are going, okay, something's not right here. Yes. This doesn't fit. This is not our brand. Um, and we need to uh, uh, we need to deal with this. Correct. Yeah. And w- what we have found is we have such a diverse group of employees that we can approach that individual so many different ways mm-hmm. uh, with different people that maybe have a better understanding of where that individual is coming from. And we found more times than not, people that come in sideways, as you've put it, we just have to find the right mentor, if you will, the right yeah. employee that can speak to them and show them like, hey, this is, I was where you're at, yeah. and this is where I'm at now. And, and you know, you just need to have faith that, that we're here for you, you can do this, yeah. and we'll support you. And, and most of the time, nine times out of 10, employees that come in, they they drink the Kool-Aid, if you will. Yeah, they go, sure. okay, this it's not a typical restaurant yeah. environment. It's not hostile. And, it's, and because it's not, it, it sounds as if you you do not have a very high turnover rate. You have a lot of people who've been with you for years. Yes, yeah, we do. And, and that's one of the things when, when people ask me about the restaurant, I, I always talk about, I'm very proud of that. We have we we work really hard on keeping our employees. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have four kitchen managers, um, 13 years, 12 years, 10 and a half, wow. and one of them uh, over three different periods. He was original hire, has left for other opportunities yeah. three different times. He's been with us probably eight years. Yeah, and that's atypical in the restaurant Correct. business. Correct. Right? For kitchens, for kitchen yeah, work especially. I would especially. imagine in a restaurant business there's a lot of turnover. There is. Yeah. There is. And our front of the house management team is is the same story. Uh, yeah, and, I, and I can testify to that in the yeah. sense that I've been there many times to yeah. eat and brought my family in and see the same people yeah. over and over again. In fact, I you know, look back and go, well, it's been years, and I see some of the same people, same folks. which is wonderful. So you're, you're keeping consistency, 
Uh, it also minimizes the amount of training that you constantly yeah. have to do because uh, you know you've had the same people so long. They're beginning to deepen their skills and Correct. become more excellent and and better at what they do. It's seasoned, and they have will. they have yeah. the same buy-in that we yeah, do. That's great. You know, we, we, it's we're, personal to them. Yes, they want it to be successful for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, how how do you go about uh, developing recipes? Like, is this these are because you have so many great you know, items on the menu. Is that something that you come up with? Do you have, do you have a team that helps you develop new things? Do you often put new items on the menu and keep them there for a while to test or how does that work? We don't change our menu as often as we probably should have, or maybe some of our regular guests wish we would just to offer new things. But, uh, since the day we started, my policy has been, um, there's two main positions, saute and grill. Those chefs are responsible for creating their own dinner specials every night. I do not dictate to them what they make. They get to be creative. Mm. They get to come in with ideas and see them through and get to enjoy preparing them and and hearing feedback from the guests. Um, And what that has done is it's given them ownership of of their product, uh, their position, and when, our, when we opened, our menu was my menu. I wrote that menu. I wrote the recipes. I tested them all. Um, now our menu, 13 years later, 70% of it is from our staff. I have nothing to do with it. These yeah. are dishes that they created that became guest pop, you know, really popular with guests. And then we repeated them as dinner specials because people were asking for them. And so the next menu change came about. And we said, well, why don't we put it on the menu? Yeah. Now that, um, that creates an amazing amount of ownership from your staff. Yes. Because they look at the menu. They're, they're not just serving Andy's food. They're serving their own. Correct. This is, this is something they created. Yep. And they feel uh, a sense of responsibility to make sure it's cooked well, it's prepared well. They're teaching yeah, the next guy to do great. it right. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, it has been a huge success for us. Yeah. Um, so we, a lot of times, though, when we're developing recipes, we, it is still we just go back in the kitchen and have fun. Yeah. Some of, some of our recipes were designed on a piece of paper at a meeting. And I'm going to imagine you've had some that didn't go over very well. We've had more than yeah. our fair share. <laughs> We've had a lot. Yeah. We've had a, and we have yeah. a lot that will we'll, they'll execute well uh, one night. And then, you know, we realized on a, maybe it was a slow night. When we're really busy, we can't do that dish successfully. Sure. And so yeah. we work through those things. So you guys are all still in the process of learning and growing and evolving yourself. Every night. Yeah. Every yeah. night. And that's the fun part about food is mm-hmm. there's well it's one of the fun things about food is you get to be creative you get to experience uh different things with different products yeah very so, good yeah. a few personal questions yeah um do you have a chef you would love to sit down with and enjoy a meal just someone that maybe you have looked to throughout your life and they could be past maybe they're not even yeah. alive today you know they've passed on but just someone that you would love to just you would love to sit down with this chef and just talk food, talk about their experience, et cetera. That's a tough one. I think uh, more than a discussion of food, my discussion with, with any chef would want to be growth as, you know, as a leader. Yeah. Um, uh, Thomas Keller comes to mind, okay. French Laundry mm-hmm. per se. He's actually starting to, to really grow uh but one of the top, if not the top chef in America and one of the tops in the world, I think would be a lot of fun just to yeah. sit down and, and talk with him. Uh, Escoffier created the, uh, what we know now as a common um, 
organizational system for professional kitchens, the Brigade mm-hmm. system. Hmm. Uh, he created that. Uh, I would love to, if I understood French, yeah. uh, to have dinner with him and talk about his experiences. You know, he modeled his kitchens after military, uh, after the military. Hmm. So the the executive chef and the sous chef and all the other positions, and you know, just understanding that from a management side and a leadership side, I think. Uh, would be really, really interesting. Yeah. And if you could put the meal together that you guys could have, and what what would it be? Because I'd love to know a little bit of maybe your favorite food, your favorite mm. kind of food. And if you created that meal, not all the details, but what would it be? Would it be French? Would it be Italian? Would it be what what kind of food would you sit down with that chef and just enjoy together? Probably fried chicken. <laughs> I don't allow myself that pleasure too often anymore. Uh, Not getting any younger, wasting getting any smaller. So, uh, no, I don't know. That's a that's a tough one. You know, I wish. I'm always curious what what a chef chooses to eat when when he or she can sit down and just enjoy a meal. You know, where do you go? What do you get? You know, what do you enjoy? Well, I think there's. I think I'm going to very generically classify chefs in two different groups. I think you have those that want to go out and have a fine dining experience. And really when they go out, they want to treat themselves to the finest of everything. Or when they go home, they create special meals. Uh, And then the other half, which I would fall into is um, I will eat anything if somebody else is going to cook it for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do the dishes even. Right. Um, I like what I like to eat. I, honestly, my mother-in-law is a fantastic cook. Country food, yeah. comfort food. Oh yeah, uh, you know you can't go wrong with that. You can't, yeah. and and it's great. And you know, and they say you can taste the love, and and you really, you certainly can. I, but I don't have. We don't cook anything crazy at home when we eat. Um, honestly, when I'm not when I'm not at work, often I'm taking uh, Karen and the girls out for dinner. Yeah. Uh, we want to go support our other restaurants in sure. town. I mean, I'm friends That's with all great. of them. Yeah. We all want to see each other be successful. So we, we eat out on yeah. my nights off because yeah. it's a rarity. Sure. Um, and Karen knows that I'm not going to cook dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So we usually go out, but I, I enjoy comfort foods. I yeah. enjoy easy stuff. You know, um, I'm not that picky. Yeah. That's good. You yeah. just love food in general. And, and I you want everyone to know that, if they invite yeah. me over for dinner, I'll come. They don't need to be nervous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, the, that's I, the thing I'm, about chefs. Nobody know, invites I, us over for dinner. Everyone's right. scared to cook dinner for us. I, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, that's, you know, I do too. I, I look at food much more of a social you know, occasion, yes. you know, and I just enjoy so many different kinds of food. And and I just love the friendship and what it brings and yep. the, the conversation and, and all of that. So sometimes it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I want obviously good food and I want it to be prepared well. Yes. But really what happens at the table is more important to me than than just what's the in food. front of me. Correct. You know? So you can take a, a reasonably decent meal and make it excellent by the people who are sitting around with you yes. in the conversation. And you can take an amazing meal. And it's miserable if, you're, <laughs> yes, if you happen there, to be eating I've, it with the wrong people. I've been there before yeah, as so well. So it certainly changes it. And if you could sit down with a few young entrepreneurs where you were 22 years ago, 25 years mm-hmm. ago, give them some advice now that you've walked down this path, you know, and you've learned so much. What What is one or two pieces of, of, of knowledge that you would impart to these 22-year-old young Andy Monteros, you know, they're ready to start a business. They can't wait to get out of school. They want to quit. You know, they want to drop out. They want to, you know, what would you say to them? To slow down, 
uh, I think that was uh, a hard lesson for me to learn was to take a step back and that, that I, I'm not invincible. Um, and make sure that you love what you do. Uh, especially if, if you're interested or you're in culinary school, you know, I, I tell people culinary school is different than the real industry. It's a great way to learn, but you make sure that you really love it and, and get into it and let somebody pay you to work for them and learn for a while. Don't, yeah. don't be in such a rush to be your own boss uh, because it's not as glamorous and easy as uh, sometimes maybe television could make it seem. Yeah. Uh, and make sure that you have a good support system. Um, you got to have people that you can, you can talk to, you can go home and vent to and cry to and celebrate with. And you have to have a great sense of who you are. Yeah. This industry, um, historically and still to this day, is tough. It is, it is, uh, it's easy to fall into a habit uh, of addiction uh, in this industry. We're, you know... Historically, we're up late. Um, you have r- alcohol readily available mm-hmm. uh, in most restaurants. Um, and people use substances to handle the stress, yeah. the hardships, the physical demands on the body. Uh, and if you're not a strong enough person to really uh, ward those kind of demons off mm-hmm. and be able to say no and still feel good about yourself then it's gonna it'd be a hard ride yeah that's great advice yeah that's excellent advice for anybody yes having having said that I would I would add just based on what you've said I I think you would agree that choosing a spouse wisely would yeah. be really high on the list of what I would recommend to young entrepreneurs because of what you said a few minutes ago yes that if you if you marry someone and they're not into what it is you're trying to do. Um, it, you know, they may be able to handle when you're young, you know, the long hours, but then yeah. kids come along and then you start to grow. Your business grows and now you're doing catering. Now yes. you're driving for a few hours. If they themselves do not have this passion for mm-hmm. what it is you're doing, it can eventually bring a very undue, you know, heavy burden that unfortunately would lead then, now some of this is the pastor in me coming out, sure. you know, but would lead to what you just said, which is, you know, the, the wrestling with those demons and the, yes. the, 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 the propendency for addiction and all those things. If you don't have the spouse that supports you, it's easy to fall into, unfortunately, into with someone else or yes. get into too much drinking or eating or, or whatever. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's really easy and it's extremely important. And, yeah. and uh, I would tell anybody, not even just entrepreneurs, yeah, right. is that, you know, choose wisely, choose yeah. wisely, yeah. slow down, Yeah, make sure it's the right person that's for right. you. Um, yeah. You know, um, Karen and I, we, this summer, we'll have been married 18 years. Oh, that's great. Um, and we went through all of that early in our relationship yeah. when we were trying to build our business. We were young. We were yeah. still trying to figure out who we were. Um, you know, we were fortunate that we had a common goal that we worked towards. We had a commitment to ourselves and, and to um, uh, her family, her mom and dad or our partners, and we had a commitment. And, and that actually helped us kind of overcome and push through some of the typical early marriage struggles yeah. because we thought, you know, we're, we're not going to let them down. We're not going to let ourselves down. Um, and we used that as kind of light at the end of the tunnel uh, for our first few years and this first few, first few hardships. And then what we found as our, our marriage grew was that, it, you know, we weren't going to let each other down. Yeah. 
It was about, you know, our love for each other and, uh, and our three daughters. Um, and we've been, we've been extremely fortunate. And now looking back, I'm sure you are so glad that you pushed through and that you didn't give up too quick. Yes. And sometimes you have to get beyond, not sometimes, every time you have to get beyond all of those first few years and a few of those first obstacles to get old enough and seasoned enough to look back and say, boy, I'm so glad I didn't quit. Yes. I'm so glad we stuck it out. I'm yes. so glad we learned. We grew together because now you can reap so much of the harvest, if you will, of the good yes. planning for years and years and years. Yeah, the hard yeah. work. That's the hard great. work. And for That's me, great. a lot of it was just kind of getting over myself, yeah. realizing that it wasn't just about me. Uh, it was about my wife. And then it became about my family. And then it became about my business. Yeah. That's great. Uh, and, priorities. And priorities. Yeah. And every day that's, that's I wake up and I think, okay, I'm doing this for not just myself. Yeah. There's a whole and I would imagine that that is probably where many, I would say that's probably why many businesses fail. It's not so much the product. It's not so much, I mean, sometimes obviously it is the product and right. it's poor business practices, et cetera. But sometimes it's the personal side more than the professional side that brings people down. Yes. Because things are falling apart at home, uh, because things are falling apart at home or in their personal life, the, the, the owner is now struggling with depression, anxiety, addiction, or whatever, which brings the entire Our business down. It works yeah. both ways. Sure. It, it can ruin a home and yeah. it can ruin a business. Absolutely. If you don't know, you don't have that support um, yeah. to kind of keep you going. It yeah. definitely can go both ways. And That's you're good. right. It is that, you know, you have to be a strong person. You yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, one more question. This is real easy. All okay. Right. Uh, what's your day off? What, 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 if you could design your day off, you know, <laughs> you just, you're off. You've got a day off and, and now you can do whatever it is you want to do. What's a perfect day off for Andy? <sighs> Four years ago, my perfect day off would have been um, a day. The relationship that I have with my children, I think a perfect day off for me would be for the five of us to be together. Um, Maybe, uh, I'm not a beach person, but maybe at an amusement park or just doing something fun together and a a nice dinner together. Yeah, Yeah, a day of family. Again, it's it's a rarity to have an entire day off. You know, I I do, you know, we're closed on Mondays, but the kids are in school, so uh, I do get some extra time with them on that day, but... It's a rarity for us to spend an entire day together, but um, no. there's just so much fun to be around. My, I think a perfect day for me would probably just be around them yeah. doing anything. That's great. Well, Andy, what is the best way for people to contact you? Uh, do you have a website you want to give out? I'll, I'll link it also on the podcast right. for those who can click on it and go from there. But maybe there's, I don't know if you have a a personal site or a blog or anything else that you have. Well, we, we've got a couple of different um, sites on social media. Uh, so, uh, well, we have our website, monterosrestaurant.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Montero's okay. Restaurant, um, Montero's 05 on Twitter, and we're on Instagram as well, but okay. I'm not quite hip enough yeah. to remember what that <laughs> link is. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're looking for me specifically, Chances yeah. are you can find me at sure. the restaurant. Sure. What What about uh, if someone just thought about this? What if there's a young, and it doesn't have to be young. It can be older. It doesn't matter. Just somebody who has some questions maybe about, you know, maybe they got a restaurant or they're starting a business mm-hmm. or anything. Would Would you have some time maybe if they emailed you or 
contacted you to ask you a question or, hey, I heard you on the podcast and I just got a question about this or that. Yes. Is that something you open, you're it open to? It happens all the time. Great. And, and I'm always honored and humbled to help however I can. Um, whether it's a, it's a question about a recipe mm-hmm. or uh, food or it's about uh, the industry or a professional question as a business owner. Um, because half the time, more than that, I learn just as much by sure. sharing that information and hearing questions and people's concerns. Yeah. Um, and, but we, yeah, we, I would love for them to reach out to me. Absolutely. Great. Well, Andy, it's been an honor to have you here. It's Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank yeah, you I very much. you are extremely busy and you've got a lot going on and, and that's a good thing, but you took some time today to just sit down and, and talk with me and introduce yourself to some new people. So it's an honor to have you here. Thank you. Thank coming. you very much yeah. for having and me. And thanks for it. providing our city with such a great restaurant. Uh, it, it has been a pleasure. Yeah, thank yes, you. Sir. Have a wonderful afternoon, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Imperfect Leader Podcast. As I mentioned at the beginning, please go by iTunes and give us a five-star rating and share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, I'd love to interact with you. You can reach me by visiting scottneal.me or like my page on Facebook, at facebook.com slash scottneal online. I'd love to know what you're thinking and answer any questions you have.